was affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hello there, and thank you so much for joining me. This episode is going to be a little different. I'm not going to have a guest today. Today, I'm going to dive a little into the history and how suicide ideation was actually a part of my life even before I lost my friend Andrea. So it's going to be a a long look back because I've been here for quite a while. When I was, uh, I would say between 13 and 15, I was in high school and the school that I went to was uh, one quite far away from my home and it wasn't where my friends went. You see, my parents had wanted me to go to a convent school, a parochial school that uh, they felt would be a better education. I, of course, didn't believe that. and. <laughs> until a few years later when I switched schools and went to a public high school and realized that, oh my Lord, my parents were correct. But I digress here and it's also not something we wanna tell anybody when we were a teenager. We sure don't wanna say that our parents are right. And I have to say they were right about a lot of things. That's not what this story is about. Uh, Today, I want to talk about some of the friends that I hung around with and some of the, I guess, stereotypes that existed when I was young. You see, gender roles were, were very much a thing back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, you know, girls were expected to play with Barbies and do girly things and want to be nurses and airline hostesses and teachers. And it seemed that girls thought about growing up and getting married and their beautiful weddings and all kinds of things that, quite honestly, never entered my head. I was a true tomboy as a kid. My greatest thrill was climbing another tree, swimming in the creek, going through the park, you know, fighting on either side of the ravine where each side claimed to own the ravine. And uh, that was back as early as, you know, five or six years old. that ravine and the park were all around the area I lived in, in Toronto. And 
in all honesty, I think it was an absolutely idyllic childhood. I got to play until it got dark. I only went in when I had to, to the extent that I had cut my foot very badly, didn't even realize it was scrabbling up the ravine, leaving a long trail of blood. And by the time I got to the top of the ravine and other people told me I'd better go get that attended to, I had to stop and think about it because I was having such a good time. Did I really want to go traipse up three flights of stairs just to get a Band-Aid? I was that kind of kid. If we fast forward to 13, 12, 13, when I was getting ready to go to high school, and my birthday is late in the year, I was already ahead of myself. So I think I was probably quite immature compared to some of the others in my class in grade nine. But I made friends with a group of people who lived in what was called Old Ottawa South. And it just so happened that the very end of the bus line, the bus line that took me home way back out to the airport area, it started right from deep in Ottawa South. There were parks, there were uh, great little beaches. Brighton Beach was one of them. Brewer Park was on the south side. And on the more northeast side, we had Windsor Park. And Windsor Park is where we spent many of our evenings. We would stop at either the Eldorado or the Mayfair uh, coffee shop and uh, have our coffee, sit and nurse our coffee for as long as we could. And we all talked about all kinds of different things. Over about a year, one of our friends, Dan and I, I don't even remember how we got into the conversation, but got into the conversation about not really feeling any of the, I don't know, wonder, hope, expectation for a future. And see, I didn't see anything after 25. And funny enough, neither did he. He's the one that actually brought it up. And to him, I actually told him that I didn't imagine the big white wedding and the, the concept of being a, a teacher, an airline hostess, or a nurse, or whatever was sort of prescribed for girls at that point. And he agreed in, in not being sure what the point was. I guess to us, 25 just seemed ancient. And after that year, I couldn't even tell you the date, but I do know it was a Friday night. I was heading back to the bus station to take the very last bus back home. I was allowed to stay out just after midnight in order to take that last bus 
I think it was my parents' way of giving me a little leeway because they had uprooted me from all my friends and, and made me go to a school where originally I knew no one. It really wasn't horrible. I cannot complain. And I got a great education. I understood that. But that one Friday night might have been in grade 10. As other people were wandering away from where we were and we were all starting to walk out of the park, Dan said, you know, I just think maybe we should just be done at 25. It sounded right at the time. And I agreed. I said, yeah, you know what? Okay. He said, good. Let's make a pact that we'll end it at 25. In the next, probably not quite year, we touched on it briefly a couple of times. Didn't expand on the concept. There was no plan per se of, of how or where we do it. It was simply an acknowledgement that, well, one twenty-five seems so far away and so old. And so what was the point? Not having those hopes and dreams. Uh, it was really kind of strange because I, I never saw myself as an older person. I never imagined what it would like to, what it would be like to have children, uh, what, it, what sort of career I would choose. That was just this oddly blank slate. And I'm not sure why, but Dan seemed to feel exactly the same as I did. And as much as, you know, it's sort of a, a horrible goal when I think of it now, it's kind of terrifying uh, to think of, of my children or my grandchildren thinking this way. For us then, in that time, it seemed to make sense. Now, you have to understand, okay, this was 1969, 1970. There was no discussion about mental illness. There was no concern for mental health. In fact, if someone in your family had an issue, anyone and everyone to do with your family did all they could to cover it up. You weren't allowed to talk about those things. You weren't allowed to what they called air your dirty laundry. Now add to that the fact that I'm of Scottish heritage. I was born in Edinburgh. And in Scotland, we, we tend to be tough. We tend to be hardier. We want to fight our own battles. We want to, we want to do what we can and we, we're very proud. We certainly don't show weakness, not ever. And the concept for that 
is more to do with, I guess, a, a long, long history of continual fighting with the English and whomever else, Vikings, what have you, uh, that came to try and lord it over Scotland. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm only saying this is some of the, the background that I feel sort of led me to where I was. I don't think at that time I would have understood suicide ideation. I don't think, I don't think we actually considered this as suicide. Now, this is a story for another time, but late in the fall of 1970, I left Ottawa. I had just turned 16 and I hitchhiked my way to Vancouver. And that would be 1971, pardon me, incorrect there. I hitchhiked all the way to Vancouver and I, in my head, thought I was being very smart. I took my friend's two brothers with me to keep me safe, which I'm looking back was kind of odd. And uh, there's some funny stories from that trip that uh, we will discuss in another episode. But the upshot of this was, in the back of my mind was always that, that safety card, if you will, that out that Dan and I had planned by the time we got to 25. I came back from Vancouver just before Christmas. My parents were devastated that I had left uh, and were more than happy to fly me home when they did. That's actually how I ended up in a public school the next year. But why this is important here. When I got back, my friend Andrea was incredibly angry with me for taking off and for not telling anybody. And how could I do that? And she read me the riot act over Christmas a few times. Because you see, come February, she was going to be 16. And she was determined that she was going to get a car for her birthday and she'd be able to drive all of us around. And like, why would I take the chance of not being there so that we could, you know, fulfill all our plans of driving around and having a great time. And yet sometime between Christmas and in Andrea's case, I don't think Christmas had anything to do with it. That New Year's Eve, as I babysat for neighbors out near the airport, the airport, <clears throat> and I 
picked up the phone to call and say an early Happy New Year to Andrea because, see, I knew she was at home with her older aunt and uncle. I had picked up the phone, and it was a rotary dial phone back then. And as I dialed the number, it occurred to me that if I woke up either her aunt or uncle, who were, I think, 83 and 86, respectively, then she was the one that was going to get in trouble for that. So I put the phone back in the cradle. And to this day, I replay that in my head over and over and over. Because by that next morning, Andrea was dead. I didn't find out until 8 o'clock the next night at the Alice Cooper concert. Not a great place to get bad news. And certainly not on the eve of that concert. Following year was uh, basically a lost cause for me. I tried everything I could think of to numb myself to make sure that I didn't have to feel all the horrible things that were running through my head. But the oddest thing, Dad and I, never spoke again about our pact. He, he was in that group down by Windsor Park and Brighton Beach and all the people who knew Andrea. And it wasn't until maybe a year ago in talking to old friends, I suddenly thought of Dan and wondered what had happened. We're still not sure where he is, but I know we both made it past 25. In my case, I attribute that to Andrea. And that's why I do this podcast. Because I was left along with our friends to constantly wonder why. Why did she take her life? Why did this happen? How did we not see it? Were we so blind? Were we so wrapped up in ourselves? that we didn't hear her cries for help? What was it that set her off? And I sit here today knowing that we will never know exactly why, what went through her head, or for that matter, if there was anything we could have said that would have changed things. What I do know 
is I have to be so thankful in a weird way for what amounted to what I keep calling the best worst gift on the planet. Andrea actually forced me as one of those left behind suffering and and just going through all the horrible feelings and shame and guilt and loss she forced me to see that if I took my own life I would be doing that to those around me that I loved and when things got dark after my motor vehicle accident which is of course another story and after the horrifically botched surgery that I lived through all of those times in deep dark pain just as I was ready to go Andrea would be in my head reminding me of what I'd lived through because she left us and that's why today I can share that information with you at the ripe old age of 65 I'm a long long way from Windsor Park and a teenage pledge and I can only say the struggle can be real and somewhat like I think Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, Narcotics Anonymous, they take things one day at a time. Well, I think if you have to deal with suicide ideation, if it's something that runs in and out of the threads of your life, then what I do take a deep breath and remind myself be grateful for all that I have all that I have around me all those that I love and say not today and that is very very helpful I'm Elaine and I'll see you in the next episode Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.